This talk was given by Shyla Catherine. For more information and a schedule of her events, visit the Insight Meditation South Bay website at www.imsb.org. For information about online programs, visit the Bodhi Courses website at www.bodhicourses.org. Bodhi is spelled B-O-D-H-I. So, the theme is concentration. How many people are familiar with the term samadhi? It's a Pali term that's usually translated as concentration. And the Buddha said that we should develop concentration. Why? Because one who is concentrated understands things as they really are. Samadhi is the ground for wisdom to arise. Concentration is considered the basis for wisdom. Does that make sense to you? Does that seem intuitive? Does that seem obvious? Why would concentration be a basis for wisdom? What happens when we develop the mind, when we concentrate the mind, is we learn to steady the mind. We strengthen the mind. We make it fit. And that concentrated mind has the capacity to see things more deeply, more steadily, more clearly. If you want to understand something in life, you usually have to focus on it. If you want to study a subject, you have to give it your attention. If you want to really see something, you examine it closely. You hold your attention upon something to know it fully. And so when the mind is concentrated, when it's steady, it enables us to know things much more thoroughly and more deeply. And so... To understand how things actually are, we need to understand the nature of the mind and body. And so the mind needs to be concentrated in order to turn our attention off our fantasies about who we are in the world, what we did and what we will do, and all the various things that we're responsible for that we juggle and keep turning around in our minds. All those things that distract us They keep us from actually knowing something as simple as sitting and breathing. But when we concentrate the mind on something like sitting and breathing and develop a steady focus, build a momentum of mindfulness and concentration, then when we're observing ourselves sitting and breathing, we're not lost in thought. We actually can then understand the nature of the body and mind, how feelings occur, how perceptions occur, what's actually occurring, like thinking is happening Very different to be mindful of thinking than to be lost in thought. Very different to be mindful of sensations in the body than to be afraid of pain. Or lost and seduced into pleasure. So we develop this capacity to concentrate the mind so that we can develop liberating insight. When the mind is not concentrated, we still understand some things, right? We still see things even when we're not focused. We still um, experience things even when we're not concentrated. But very often what the distracted mind knows 
It's simply the things that distract it. We get lost in the realm of our favorite stories. And so when the mind gets concentrated, it has the potential to see the subtler layers of experience. Not only how the body and mind and perception function, but how consciousness occurs, how we know things, how we interpret things, and how we construct a sense of self through those experiences. We start to understand not only what our experiences in the world, but we start to understand the nature of the world and have the potential to have liberating insight through seeing things as they are, as changing processes, as dynamic unfolding experiences in life. We usually find the term samadhi translated into English as concentration, but there are a number of terms that really describe the quality of samadhi. And perhaps in, from a meditator's perspective, concentration doesn't really carry the sense of it. Whereas sometimes it's nicer actually to use a word that we may not even know, samadhi, so that we can develop within our meditative experience a deeper meaning for it. Because what are your associations of concentration? Sometimes we associate things like having to pay attention in school or making a solution that's concentrated, you know, or like something that's... um, you know, like uh, orange juice, that to make it drinkable, you have to dilute it. So there's this, this in, in, you know, um, in intensifying. It's true, a concentrated state can be quite intense, but I don't think of the concentrated state as really being like orange juice. The terms for samadhi that we find as the description for what this is, is, is it's translated as a mind that is internally steadied, composed, or another translation is settled, either composed or settled, unified, and also concentrated. So that mind of samadhi is a mind that is internally steadied, composed, unified, and concentrated. And that gives a fuller sense of it, doesn't it? A sense of unification, a sense of composure, a sense of steadiness of stillness, of stability of mind. Sometimes concentration is associated with a one-pointed attention. And there can be a single focus to experience. But please don't think of one point as being one tiny little dot. Because we can have one-pointed attention on a broad field, on something very, very spacious. Concentration should not necessarily be a a narrow experience. It can be a broad, relaxed, spacious experience that is undistracted, that's unscattered. The concentrated mind is described as having the characteristic of non-dispersal, non-dispassion, non-agitation, and non-scatteredness. It's the factor of mind that enables us to land on a perception and penetrate it so that the mind can be steady there and know it. It's said in the Visuddhimagga that it, the mind pricks the object. 
like really connects into it. It's not a grasping, a hold of. It's more this deep settling in, a steady, a steady meeting. And the result of the concentrated mind is that we feel a coherence to attention, a strength that comes. Usually the experience of concentration is pleasant and associated with happiness. For many people, it gives rise to a sense of joy. (laughs) This joy might be a quiet joy. It might be a calm ease. It doesn't necessarily need to be ecstatic, rapturous bliss. But usually, the concentrated mind is quite happy. It's sometimes described as the joy or the bliss of seclusion. And this concentrated experience is usually associated with other factors that circle around it and mutually support it, like calmness and relaxation, tranquility, ease, peace, stillness, as well as rapture, joy, and bliss. Concentration is rather appealing, isn't it? There are two kinds of concentration that we develop in the meditation practice. Actually, there are many kinds of concentration, but I'm going to speak about two main groups, primary groups, that we could understand concentration as falling into two types. The first is when we develop concentration and meditation through a fixed object, through a steady focus to one thing, where we repeatedly consistently and exclusively give our attention to one particular perception. And this can develop with such intensity and strength that it's as though the mind becomes absorbed in and merged with that perception. This kind of samadhi is called in Pali, apana samadhi. It's usually an absorption with a mental object, For example, we might focus the attention on something like an element or a color or a reflection or a quality like loving kindness. Or we might take a very refined perception of breath and focus the attention so steadily upon that that the mind becomes absorbed in the experience. In the Theravada tradition, which is the the Buddhist tradition out of Southeast Asia that these practices are primarily derived from. We have a collection of 40 objects that that we train in, in samadhi practice. And I wrote about those in my book, um, Wisdom Wide and Deep. I wrote, for those of you that are not familiar with my writings, I wrote two books on the development of concentration. The first one is called Focused and Fearless, which is the one that I recommend for most people because it really helps us develop concentration in the context of our daily life as well as in our meditation and retreat practice and introduces the states of deep absorption and concentrated meditation using the breath as the primary object. It's the primary way that I teach and it really would give you a really good sense of my orientation to concentration practice. Once you've got focused and fearless under your belt, you might want to tackle wisdom wide and deep. 
And that includes all 40 objects. It includes the comprehensive training, not only in samadhi, but also in the applications of the concentrated mind to insight practice, which is what we call vipassana. So those, those 40 objects are generally these fixed objects, this kind of apanasamadhi, this kind of concentration with the fixed focus, which enables a steady, stability, unified mind that in many cases can go to an absorptive experience. But there's another kind of concentration. There's another way the mind becomes unified. And that is called momentary concentration, in the Pali language, it's called kanaka samadhi. And this is the kind of concentration we develop when we are consistently developing a continuity of mindfulness with changing objects. So we don't keep coming back to the breath, staying focused on the breath, only knowing the breath. We don't choose a color and only focus on the color and only know the color until the mind absorbs in the color. Instead, we're observing the changing nature of sensations. Oh, it's warm, it's cold, there's sound, all the sense spaces. There's, a, there's an odor, there's a taste. The experiences of mind, of moods, emotions, thoughts, mental states, mental experiences, all the things we conceive of and construct and become conscious of. We can become mindful of the way perception and consciousness function through changing processes. And all of those, as we're observing this changing nature of mind and body, we become concentrated. The object keeps changing. So it's not that the object is steady. One moment there's a sound, another moment there's an experience of heat, and that heat keeps changing until it turns to cold. It's not steady. The object's not steady, but the mind is steady. The mind is undistracted through that continuity of mindfulness. And so in this way, we're developing kanaka samadhi. And this can develop through the moment-to-moment attention that we give to whatever is happening in the present moment. This is the kind of concentration that we develop through vipassana and insight practices. But either type of samadhi, either type of concentration, fixed or momentary, has the benefit of disentangling the, the mind from all its um, attractions and attachments and uh, um, hindrances and um, uh, defilements. Samadhi concentration is found in many different Buddhist lists. But we're in the midst of a series on the list called what? The Eightfold Path. So we are going to develop concentration based upon the Eightfold Path. We also can develop concentration based upon the seven factors of enlightenment. And we can develop concentration in relationship to the five spiritual faculties and in relationship to the five powers. In all of these contexts, we're still developing concentration. We're still developing this mind of right samadhi. We know it's right samadhi because it is based upon, it is nurtured by right view. And it's supported and integrated into the entire Eightfold Path so that we develop right concentration 
through right effort, through right mindfulness, based upon virtue, right action. So we have an integrated development when we find concentration embedded in these various lists. One of my favorite lists that includes the development of concentration is the list of the seven factors of awakening, which I put on the board over here. On one side, we have investigation, energy, and joy. On the other side, we have tranquility, concentration, and equipoise, balanced by mindfulness. And these seven factors of awakening can help us to understand how concentration is a factor that is not practiced or developed in isolation. It's practiced and developed through a network of other experiences. And in fact, very clearly in the, in the progression of the seven factors, we find that if concentration gets out of balance with energy, the mind dulls out. You might have experienced that sometimes, where you were really, really concentrated, things were going really, really well in your practice, you thought you were sailing along, and then all of a sudden, clunk, there's dullness, sleepiness, sluggishness. People sometimes experience this in retreat before they've learned how to balance and support and nurture the concentration through the other aspects of the path. What often happens is there simply wasn't enough energy to sustain the depth of the concentration. It was as though the factor of concentration grew more quickly than the factor of energy. And so it's very important when developing any of these practices and and qualities that we develop them in balance and in combination. It's not enough to just become concentrated. In fact, it's not very useful to become concentrated if there isn't the right view and the wisdom to know what the purpose of that concentration is and how to use it. Or, and it won't be very effective is if it isn't supported by the other factors of effort and energy to keep sustaining it of investigation and interest in order to, um, to guide its exploration. Most of the time when we learn meditation, the first instruction that we get has to do with concentration. Very often when we teach uh, beginning mindfulness here, we don't just start with the broad mindfulness of body and mind. Very often we start with mindfulness of the breath so that we have a focal point to find. And that in itself can be challenging. You know, we come here with really good intentions, right? sit down to meditate, and how much of that meditation were you actually alert and aware of it? Most people spend a good chunk of the time lost in thoughts. The mind just comes in and sweeps us off our plan and takes us into its realm of fantasy, the stories of our lives. And so to do a task as ridiculously simple as concentrating on the breath becomes a very challenging activity. 
And I think it's one of the most elegant things about the development of the mind is it asks us to develop these very profound mental skills using the simplest of instruction. I mean, the simplest thing, to sit and know you're sitting, to breathe and know you're breathing. Why do you have to take a class to learn that? But honestly, if you don't take a class or come to a group, you're not going to do it. Even after more than 30 years of meditation practice, I love teaching with somebody and listening to their instructions because then I can be back in that, t- in that student's seat and hearing somebody else guide a meditation or just hearing the way they give beginning insight and beginning meditation instructions gives me some new little thing that my mind had even gotten into some habit on how to breathe or how to notice breathing or how to do something. And we have to keep kind of unraveling the way that the mind keeps creating these habits that distort our experience so that we can come again and again into this just so simple, utterly simple experience of being able to know what's really happening and to be able to steady the mind in that, to be unified in that, to be calm, collected, internally steadied, composed, unified, and concentrated in whatever it is we want to be doing. If we can't do that when we're just sitting and breathing, how are we going to be able to do it when we're driving or when we're in a complex conversation? It might seem as though some of those activities pull our attention and have us be more concentrated. But really, the depth that happens when we cultivate this concentration on using something as simple as just sitting and breathing is so profound. One of the aspects of developing concentration is that we learn to settle the mind, and the settled mind is a happy mind. Okay, it's not necessarily the biggest thrill in the world, but it may be a deep, deep peace that could be the deepest happiness one has ever experienced. It's not unusual when I teach a concentration retreat that on almost every concentration retreat, one or two people will explicitly tell me that they have never experienced such deep joy and deep peace in their whole life. And some people will say that they have never experienced such pleasure in their whole life than just sitting in uncomfortable chairs for 10 days, sitting and breathing. It's amazing what happens when we really develop concentration. It's profound. And it's pleasant. This pleasantness of it is a little dangerous. Because most of the time, when we like something, we want more of it. It tastes good, it smells good, it sounds good, so we want to have more of it. In a way, it's not a bad, terrible thing, 
to be inspired to develop deeper concentration. But we have to understand that the aim of this practice is liberation. It is not to become concentrated. It is not to be able to sit down and bliss out. Sometimes when we first begin to experience concentration in our practice, we get a lot of inspiration and energy for the practice because it feels like we're getting somewhere, we're succeeding. But we shouldn't look to the experiences associated with concentration to, to assess um, how we are progressing. We shouldn't think, I got concentrated as being the signpost of success in meditation. Because this is looking in the wrong direction for success. The very activity, in fact, of judging our level of concentration or judging how we meditated or judging ourselves as a meditator, whether it's favorable or unfavorable, is going to lead us down the path of more judgment, more criticism, more aversion, and more conceit. So instead of building up feelings of success in meditation because we got concentrated or because we were able to observe seven breaths in a row, we look for something else in the practice to know how we are developing, to know where we are heading. Because concentration is a powerful tool that it will help us in this practice that we need to develop, that we need to cultivate, but it is not the aim. The real sign of success in practice is the capacity to let go. It's the end of craving and clinging. It's the ability to abide at ease and with peace with whatever is happening. When we remember the aim then we'll be able to develop concentration because we'll know its purpose. We'll be able to experience joy and pleasure in meditation without being seduced by it. We'll be able to dwell with the still mind without letting that stop us from developing the capacity to let go, to let go of the causes of suffering. I encourage a lot of development of concentration practice. Uh, possibly I emphasize concentration more than the average insight meditation teacher. I don't know. I haven't done a total survey. But probably I would imagine if we took all the Vipassana teachers in the United States and we put them all on a line from the least concentration and the more concentration I'd be way down there with the more emphasizing the more concentration not only do I appreciate it within it's a, it, the, the effect that it has had on the deepening of my own practice but I've seen again and again and again and again how powerful it can be to deepen students practice to deepen everybody's practice I do think that we have to have right view when we practice concentration. And that I emphasize all the time as an integrated experience of samadhi. Because it's not the Buddhist path if it's not based 
on this vision and possibility of understanding the causes of suffering and ending the causes of suffering. Too many practices are out there where you can just concentrate the mind. Just focus on something and concentrate it. That is not going to be liberating because it won't lead to wisdom. It might lead to pleasure. It might lead to happiness and stability of attention, but not to wisdom. The unique thing that the Buddha developed was the understanding of taking concentration practices that were already taught in his day and combining them with insight so that they supported liberating insight. Sometimes there's a bit of a tension between how much emphasis we should give to concentration versus how much emphasis we should give to insight meditation. Sometimes that tension, individual meditators can experience wondering, should I be doing more concentration practice or should I be doing more insight practice? And sometimes it's played out in a more community dynamic with views about the place and the significance of concentration on in the liberating path. But I think it's important that we recognize that there is a valuable role, an essential role for concentration, and not be afraid of spending some time to deepen our concentration to whatever extent we wish. Some people have less interest and some people have more interest in exploring the nature of the concentrated mind. Some people have more or less interest in experience and dwelling in states of concentration. But whether you want to develop only a little bit or you want to develop a lot of samadhi, nevertheless, I think we all need some degree of steadiness, stability, and concentration. The states of concentration and samadhi are profoundly beneficial, healing, and rejuvenating to the mind. We can enjoy this pleasant activity of experiencing concentration without being attached to these states. When we develop strong concentration with a fixed mental object, very often it's possible to enter into a sequence of deep absorption states that are called jhanas. These are very refined states that we explore in the context of retreat practice, not so much in daily life. But these states give us a taste of that undeniable and exquisite pleasure that is associated with a unified mind. But nevertheless, though sometimes we might drop into this sweet abiding of the concentrated mind. We don't meditate to feel concentrated. It has a role. It is a tool. It has a purpose and a use. The two most common confusions and distortions with the development of concentration have to do with extracting it from its context either extracting it from the context of the Eightfold Path, which means forgetting its purpose, taking it out of the realm of a liberating path, taking it out of the realm 
of, of a grounding in the right view that understands suffering and the causes of suffering. And once we take concentration out, it's nothing but a mental exercise. That's all. Just a mental exercise. Not a bad thing to do, but so what? Not a liberating thing to do. The other common error is to take it outside this sequence of the seven factors of enlightenment. And when we take it outside that, we forget that, we, it's that, that concentration is about balance. There are three arousing factors, tra- investigation, energy, and joy. And there are three calming factors, tranquility, concentration, and equipoise. And they need to remain in balance. And so the development of concentration is, doesn't need to be and shouldn't be conceived of as an extreme meditative sport. Instead, it's about balancing the mind. And in that exquisite balance and that continuity of mindfulness, the concentration becomes deeper. The mind becomes more coherent and unified and steadier and more and more stable so that we can understand how things actually are. The appropriate balance of these energies, the arousing energies and the calming energies, creates these rather refined conditions of mind where there is both joy and bliss that's uplifting and deep calm. And this can lead to the profoundly balanced state of relaxation that might enable those absorptions to occur. But in those absorptions, it's not a trance-like state. It's a state in which the mind is alert. And when we emerge again from that state, that energized alertness meets the experience of changing states of mind and body with a mind that's alert, that's malleable, that's flexible, that's fit, that's mindful. And then is ripe for liberating insight. So... I would like to ask if you have comments or questions about concentration. Anything, I'm, um, anything I've spoken about or that you are just curious about, about concentration because this is a, a somewhat of a favorite topic. So um, I'm happy to go anywhere with it. Please, and, and each time you speak, if you wouldn't mind um, saying your name and using this for the people who have uh, challenges with hearing, it helps. Thank you. Um, So I'm very new with all of this. And uh, when I sit, what I've been finding helpful is uh, I'm breathing, and then along comes thought. And when I note or label, it seems to kind of disappear, right? So I could be saying, oh, memory. Oh, planning. Oh, and I go back to breath. So I have been having a question about the fact that in the midst of awareness, there's some quality that's akin to thinking. So when I see on the board investigation, I say, how do I know the difference between you know, stopping or, or returning to breath or wanting to um, 
just let go of something that maybe is just an investigation. So can you say more about that? Well, first I'd like to say that there's not a problem with thought. We're not trying to create thought-free states. What's more important than clearing the mind of thought is disentangling the mind from the seduction and the content. Mm -hmm. Minds think it's the activity of thinking, but when we're not mindful that the activity of thinking is occurring, very often we are caught in a story and don't even know that it's a story because we're not even aware that we're thinking. We actually think it's, we're caught up in it and believe it to be real. But if we can have a, a, a step back to become mindful of thinking, to be able to observe the functioning of the mind, to know that thoughts are arising, then thoughts are not going to derail us. They're not going to be a problem. Then we can work with thought so that thought is right thought, <laughs> meaning wholesome thoughts, good intentions, thoughts that lead to compassion towards goodwill, towards renunciation, thoughts that, that further the development of our path, thoughts that, that help us understand the nature of the mind. So even d- directing the attention back to the breath, it's a thought. You have to have the thought breath to come back. Right. You can't meditate without thought. It's just you need that thought to think breath. <laughs> so just just understand very clearly there is no inherent problem with thoughts. That's phenomena of the mind, the same as odors are phenomena that the nose recognizes, and sounds are phenomena, sensory data that the ear is sensitive to. The mind works with those thoughts. The only problem is the seduction because the seduction occurs based upon greed, hate, or delusion. Look every time you find yourself lost in thought, and I guarantee you will find greed, hate, or delusion there. Greed is lost in a desire, wanting. Um, Aversion is a fear or a not wanting or a pushing away or an anger or that retelling of a vengeful story or retelling of an anxious worry trying to make something not happen. And delusion, what's delusion? Conceiving of self again and again and again and again in everything. Totally deluded. We keep creating a story of self through all kinds of different positions where we keep positioning our sensory experience and creating a particular image, story, manifestation of self. Mm -hmm. So there is this process of deluded thinking that keeps distracting us. So when we work with the thoughts, we want to let go of that deluded component, which is sucked into the story. And then use the capacity of the mind to think, to use it skillfully. Sometimes that skillfulness is to just concentrate on the breath, to think, to direct the attention with that thought of the breath. Sometimes it's to investigate the nature of the experience. So you can investigate an emotion. 
you know, when you're, say you're experiencing fear and you might want to understand what's going on here. You might look at how you experience it in the body. You might look at how you experience it, what occurred before it, what it leads to, how it's changing, how all kinds of things you can try to understand about how that emotion is occurring. You might look at any pattern or habit in your day. What happens when you get into the car and drive? Like, where is your attention drawn? Are you at all aware of the environment within the car? Do you just turn on the radio to distract, to, to have some kind of like sound input? Are you aware of the cars around? Are you aware of the physical sensations of the turning to look at the mirrors? Are you lost in things, thoughts and things? Just notice, like, what is your habitual way of driving? And then investigate what's, what's happening there. You know, whatever your habit is, is that useful? Is that, is that helpful? Is that supportive for you? Um, when you have pain in the body, there's a lot to investigate. There's the changing sensations, heat, cold, pressure, hardness, always increasing, decreasing, stopping, starting, appearing, disappearing. And then there's our response to it. Sometimes liking, not liking, fear, reaction. Sometimes equanimity, mindfulness, steadiness, interest. So, what, so we can use this investigative capacity to not only, like the thought just to focus on a fixed object keeps bringing the attention back. But when we're investigating, we keep bringing our attention to that experience, but we're looking around it. We're wanting to see how we're experiencing it, how we're knowing it, what gave rise to it, what's the result of it, where is it leading, is that where I want to go? How does that relate to my aim? So we should, even when we're developing concentration, we should periodically investigate the concentrated mind and we should reflect upon the way that we're developing concentration so that we check that we're developing right concentration and see where it's leading. Is it leading to greater peace and the capacity to let go? Is it based upon right view? Or are we just trying to focus because we have some conceited idea or arrogant idea that I should do this? And then we're forcing our mind on something. I mean, people try and develop this kind of forceful, wrong concentration because they, they, don't, they don't understand it as part of the whole path. But when we rest concentration in this path, based upon right view, founded upon right action, uh, supported by right mindfulness, and fueled by right effort, we're really developing a very beautiful state that will lead to liberating insight. Or if you prefer to take the system of the seven factors, don't we have a series of seven factors coming up? Next year. Next year. Early in the year, though, isn't it? Oh, June? Oh, good. You'll forget this talk by then. Maybe I'll, <laughs> maybe I'll sign up for the concentration time. <laughs> um, but when you, um, when you re- deal with the, um, the seven factors as a system, again, you're developing a whole, a whole series. And so I guess all that's to say, thought's not a problem. <laughs> Thank you. Please. Hi, I'm Dana. Um, this is my first time here. Thank oh, you, okay. everyone, for being here. Um, my question is, I think I understood 
most of what you spoke of, um, and I know what the word unification means, but for some reason when you talked about the unification of a mind, I didn't know, I, I was, I couldn't come up with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't <laughs> worry. you could define or describe unification of mind. Or... Don't worry about it. The okay. nice thing about the Buddhist teachings is you get a lot of, a lot of um, synonyms. Is that the right word? Different words that mean the same thing? Yeah, okay. So, and, and um, I do the same thing. I say a whole bunch of words, and if you understand one in the sequence, it's enough. Okay. When I teach in, um, I, I teach in Israel every other year. And, you know, they speak English just fine. But, you know, the Hebrew is their primary language. So when I come and teach the retreat in English, for some people on the retreat, they feel rusty in their English and they, they miss some words. They don't know what they mean. And um, I usually tell them that they only need to understand 20% of what I said. <laughs> because um, if you hang around for a while, you'll hear it again and you'll hear it again and you'll hear it again. And you just kind of, it kind of seeps in drop by drop. So I'm convinced that 20% is quite enough. If you come back, you'll get a little bit more, you'll get a little bit more, you'll get a little bit more. And before you know it, you'll be talking with, you'll be speaking at your, the family table and you'll throw out the word samadhi. <laughs> um, or upon a samadhi, no less. <laughs> but unified, I think, is an interesting word. It's evocative of, of a sense of... of coming together um, and there's a composure that isn't the I'm going to grin and bear it with a composed attitude and it isn't the composure that's like false and trained like I'm composed but there's a composure that's, um, that comes through a well developed and well trained mind now I have, a, I have an uncle who's an airline pilot He's a very composed person in his attitude. Um, and I think um, he was trained that way. <laughs> and I think we want the people in that pilot seat to be composed, don't we? We don't want them to be easily ruffled. When things start going chaotic and things are, I don't know how often they go chaotic, and, but if they are, we want to know that those pilots are going to be cool-headed, steady, composed in their activity, and do you know stay steady with the activity, and not get all distracted and fluttered and, and rattled where the mind stops functioning as well. There's a kind of, of pristineness of that composure that can keep um, uh, the mind on task and functioning well. Now, when we're doing insight practice and we're very concentrated, a lot is happening. You know, there's a, right now, we screen out a lot of things in order to be able to have a conversation. But if you open your attention to what's happening right now, there are sounds. You might taste something from dinner or if you got home to brush your teeth or something from your, your toothpaste. Um, there's, there's, there's always smells in every room. There's sensations of where you're touching, you're sitting on the seat, your feet are on the floor, your hands are holding the microphone, your clothes are touching your body. 
I mean, all these sensations are constantly happening. Sounds are happening. And then your mind is interpreting these sounds to put them together into sentences, to, um, to forgive my lack of grammar at times and to still make sense of it. To, all kinds of things are happening. And you're looking at me, so you're, you're having visual information which is, going, which is uh, feeding into the same, um, all that stuff. So much is happening. It's incredible. And so when, we're de- when we develop mindfulness and we open our attention, not only do we see all those basic things that are happening, but we start to see each and every one of those occurring in more refined, subtler ways um, and, and more heightened clarity. And so the steady, composed mind can rest and see, oh, this is how hearing arises and is known and is perceived and how the mind responds to it and how we react and how that pattern formed and how that habit is created and where that leads to. And we start to see how we interact with our lives. gives us a great deal of possibility to change or affect the way we live our lives because we're seeing for ourselves how our experience is happening. Now, the experience of unification to me evokes this coming together, this non-distracted, non-scattered, non-fragmentedness. We find in some texts the word coherent and conglomerate, to conglomerate the mental factors. It's like the whole mind comes together to function perfectly with the knowing of one thing. And so there's this sense of, again, coherence, non-scatteredness. And so these different terms evoke different, uh, just a sense for you. If steadiness makes more sense for you, or if... Uh, composed makes more sense for you, or if concentrated makes more sense for you, then any one of those, any of those terms will give you a, a, a kind of an evocative sense of, of how to develop this, um, this right concentration. Thank you. Hi. Um, I was wondering, like in the beginning, you mentioned 40 objects. Just wondering, like, the significance of 40 and if you can give some examples. Um, It's not a very significant number. Um, In fact, I think it's a kind of a weird list. If I was to make a list, I I would count them differently. For example, I... Several of them are stages of the decomposing corpse, which are kind of weird. You know, these are old practices. They're ancient practices. But, oh, if you're interested in the corpse practice, um, I was invited two years ago to teach a retreat at Halloween in, um, in, in Nevada, and they asked me to teach the death practices in honor of the holiday. And right next to the Buddha, they got one of those Halloween skeletons, like a life-size Halloween skeleton sitting on the altar next to the Buddha. Oh, it was beautiful. It was just beautiful. Right on the shore of Lake Tahoe. 
so people could do mindful kayaking. <laughs> I allowed it. Why not? I mean, you're sitting, we're, we're doing walking meditation on the beach, and then come in and, and I and I taught the corpse meditations. I taught the reflections on death. I taught because I've been trained in all the. Um, the traditional, the traditional methods, but I'm rarely asked to teach those. <laughs> but I just, just uh, this morning, I was asked to um, to write the description for n- this next year's course in Nevada. I go to that retreat every other year, and the organizer said, "Oh, please, would you do the death one again, even though it's not on Halloween?" <laughs> So I think we're going to do this one on um, impermanence, insight and impermanence, with optional meditations on um, on death and illness and um, and the corpse. So that occupies like I don't know how many, a bunch of them, maybe maybe nine of the different de- decomposing stages. But primarily, we have mindfulness with breathing, so the breath is an object. Then we have the the body as parts that are an, that are an object there's considered 32 parts but it's not 32 in the number that's just counts as a one um, and often we'll just take the skeleton then we use colors uh, traditionally there are four colors that are used and um, we'll use um, elements um, earth water fire wind space limited space, defined space, like the space in a room, the space around an arch, the space within a frame, Um, and consciousness. We'll we'll develop concentration with loving-kindness, compassion, joy, equanimity. We'll develop concentration with formless qualities, Oh, I said consciousness. It's light. Sorry, light is in that sequence. Consciousness comes in a different group. So then there's the Brahmaviharas, and there's the death, and there's the... Hmm. The formless ones, so that's an infinite space, not, not defined space, but infinite space. See, they get very refined. And then there's infinite consciousness, and then there's nothingness. And then a quality of per- neither perception nor non-perception. It's a very subtle state. It's it's turning the attention to the mind, um, the mind's uh, um, perceiving of nothing. So those are very refined states. But they're so refined, they enable the mind to land on them and stay and absorb. Not all objects enable this absorptive quality to occur. There were there are a few more, but that gives you a gist. Just look in the table of contents of wisdom wide and deep because they're all in there. <laughs> the first half of wisdom wide and deep is concentration. The second half are the insight practices. Well, I'd like to just end then with one or two minutes of silence. We'll just settle again for a moment. And let the mind be 
composed with your experience. Let the mind be still with whatever experience you're having right now. Allow the attention to settle within it. to apply the attention to it in a way that simply, steadily knows it. All concentration practice develops through a continuity of mindfulness. Perhaps aware of sitting perhaps aware of breathing. Perhaps releasing letting go of the fascination with any particular perception and resting the mind in release. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.